Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, farming. It is the Business of Agriculture. We're not going to bore you. We keep it interesting, and we bring you enlightening guests, like today's guest, Barry Acock. You may or may not know of Barry Acock. He is a Twitter star. He's also a guy that fights with me on Twitter. But hey, who doesn't do that? He's the founder of Ag Explorer, a Missouri-based company that sells micronutrients, adjuvants, and he's going to tell you all about Ag Explorer. But I got him on here not only because he's a past client and, and a friend, he's a brilliant business mind who's done very, very well for himself in the business of agriculture, and you can learn some lessons from him. We're going to talk about being a niche ag input company, success as a business owner, the future of our industry, and more importantly, why is he so damn disagreeable all the time with everything I say? Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, Barry Acock. Thank you for having me today, Damien. Really looking forward to it. Looking forward to getting a few arguments with you. Hopefully we'll agree on many things, but I'm sure we will disagree more. <laughs> uh, we always do. But remember, they always see this thing, and you, you know this, dear listeners, the old statement, the customer is always right. Ag Explorer has been a client of mine, and I'm here to tell you the customer is not always right because when it comes to me, Barry Acock, I'm right, he's not. Okay, <laughs> I've said some things about you, and I want to expand on your background a little bit because you're an interesting story. You've got this company headquartered in a small town in Parma, Missouri. Uh, this company is growing, and uh, it was started 19 years ago. Tell me about you and then how you got into this, because you're a former cotton scout. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, this is my first cotton guest. We always have on the soybean, the meat. we got my first cotton guest. So a former cotton scout, Barry Acock. Tell me how this all worked. Well, Damien, it's a long story, but it's a true story of the American dream, so I'll try not to bore you with all the details, but it truly is a story of the American dream. I started out eating bologna once a day for the 18 years. My mom and dad felt like I needed to have bologna for 18 years of my life, so it's against my religion to have bologna from age 18 on, so I want to give a big shout out to my parents for giving me the uh, prosperity to not to have to eat bologna anymore once a day. We just were talking last night with some friends. Uh, a person said something about eating Spam. And I said, you know, I'm really fortunate. I've never eaten Spam. Uh, we, we didn't have to do that because we had a, a feed yard with steers on it, and we had a garden, and we always raised a couple of hogs each year. But I will say, uh, growing up of, my, of meager means uh, does, does definitely give you some motivation. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Ag Explorer International. I started that company in 1999. My real job was uh, crop consulting, like you said. I won the National Cotton Consultant of the Year Award given by Syngenta and Cotton Farming Magazine. They give that award annually. Um, I'm the youngest person to ever win that award, and I'm the only person from Missouri to ever win that award. So you're, you're out there walking cotton fields, 20 or 30,000 acres you had under consultation, is that right? That is correct. Okay, and, and that's southern Missouri, Arkansas, anywhere else? Just southeast Missouri, in about a 60-mile radius. You know, people don't think of Missouri as a big uh, cotton hub, but we are. And so you, uh, you went out there, you walked those fields, you came in and said, here's the prescription for how you can yield more cotton, dear cotton operator, dear farmer. And then, uh, then they paid you per acre. That's how crop consulting works, right? That is correct. I think when I quit, it was $8 an acre. I think there's some people that charge $12 an acre. Okay. 
And so now you got this, uh, you got this going, you're like in your twenties, you're doing really, really well, you're getting awards. And then your 30th birthday or somewhere around when you're 30 years old, you said, I'm going to start a company called Ag Explore. What was the motivation? Well, Damien, out of that award that I received, I got a lot of international publicity and domestic publicity in the cotton market. And somehow, some way, and I've really forgotten now, Damien, how it happened, but the Bolivian ambassador to the United States, he somehow contacted me and he invited me over to Santa Cruz, Bolivia area to consult on about eight cotton farms and about 50,000 acres. So this guy was the Bolivian ambassador. He's the guy that was running around with Al Gore trying to save all the rainforests. And he was the very guy that was tearing them all down in Bolivia. So, <laughs> let me just... So imagine that, a politician being disingenuous. So there you are, you're a 27, 8, 9-year-old kid, and you have got a successful business in the, the Boot Hill or Southeast Missouri, and now you're going to a South American country you've never been to before, and you're consulting on thousands of acres of cotton fields in Bolivia. I hope they paid you in U.S. dollars. They did, gradually. <laughs> so you're, you're going the same direction I am, Damien. So it was culture shock from a guy that comes from a small town of 800 from Parma, Missouri, to go live in the jungles of Santa Cruz, Bolivia. So I lived in the jungle through the week, and on the weekends I lived in a gated community in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. So through the week, it was very, very much roughing it with jaguars and tarantulas. No, no kidding. And on the weekends, I was living like a king in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, in a gated community. So, so it was a bunch of shock. Then you come back to the U.S. and you say, you know what? I think I can do something bigger. How did that happen? Well, I noticed while I was in Bolivia, they didn't have some of the simple technologies that we have here in the United States. Adjuvants, surfactants, foliar fertilizers down that nitrogen stabilizer. So while I was in Bolivia, I hired my very first employee. I didn't have the money to hire him, but somehow I did. His name's Marcelo Valderrama. He's still my longest serving employee to this date. He's been with me for 19 years, longer than my wife's been with me. Okay. And so uh, you had your employee, but then you, you said, man, we, down here in Bolivia, they could really use some of these simple technologies, like you said, surfactants or you know, adjuvants. And then what? So I started manufacturing our first product called NutriPack and Synergize. It's really our big two products still to this day, NutriPack. Synergize, it's ammonium sulfate replacement. It goes with glyphosate. And we started shipping that product in 330-gallon totes over to Oblivion. We started primitively marketing it, just like in the good old days, on billboards, word of mouth. And after I got back from my cotton consulting trip over in Bolivia, I started selling it to some, some of my local cotton consulting customers, which is a big conflict of interest. You never are supposed to be a crop consultant and sell your own product. Yeah, the idea of an independent crop consultant is they can have the co-op or the local CPS or Helena or any of the other retailers come out and do the consulting, but the idea is with an independent person, they're not biased and they're not trying to sell you something, but you broke the rule. I broke. The, I tried not to, but word of mouth spread. My products are more economical, to, more economical than the CPS or the co-op. And I tell you what, Damien, I don't know if you remember this. A lot of your listeners will. But right when the when Roundup went off patent, there was a the big generic glyphosate was clear out. So around 1998-99, clear out exploded on the market when glyphosate Roundup went off patent, and my Synergize product exploded with independence. 
Synergize uh, liquid ammonium sulfate replacement exploded onto the scene with the advent and the explosion of generic glyphosates. So it was a perfect thing in timing that Roundup goes off patent and your product happens to work amazingly well. You said it's an ammonium sulfate replacement, which means it's a, it, it makes the product hotter, right? That is correct. And within two or three years, I had a lot of farmer dealers, independent dealers that I just couldn't believe it. I was shipping truckloads at a time. So where is the growth in this category now? That, the growth in adjuvants in general, we continue to grow, but Synergize goes with glyphosate, for example, and a lot of our crops are going to extend the max dicamba in Genia. Right. We've had to evolve with the times and create new surfactants and adjuvants that go with those new herbicides. So Synergize is kind of flat for us now, but we've come out with some new technologies to go with Monsanto's extend the max or Bayer's extend the max now. Do you see, does glyphosate go away, Barry, with all the, uh, the parsing and the things you and I both see, the, the wackos that want to ban glyphosate, and then they're over in Europe, they're telling everybody that glyphosate's killing, killing humanity. What do you see happening? That's a really good question. I don't see it going away. I mean, it doesn't cause cancer, and I've got it all over me many times, just spraying my yard, and I'm still kicking today. I know that's yeah, anecdotal data, but I'm, I'm doing fine. It is, a, it is a hell of a product, isn't it? And to all the people that uh, rail against glyphosate, I just always say, great, come out here and I'll start you the road uh, with a hoe and you can go out and walk that soybean <laughs> field. By the time you get to that fence row over there, you're going to love glyphosate. Uh, all well, right. Amy, just, to, just to follow up with you on that, we're in a very heavy cotton soybean corn area. So the dicamba is evolving because in cotton, you have all these uh, resistant pigweeds and Roundup doesn't kill them anymore, but it is a good cheap grass killer. So I hope we never lose glyphosate because it's still needed on the market. Yeah, and I see that I see you're probably right, but who knows what the uh, what the tide of environmentalism will bring. So any closing thoughts here on Ag Explorer? You're growing, you're 19 years old, you started making money as a company a couple of years in, the growth in adjuvants, and you're of course evolving with the times only because of what's happening with the chemistry. You've got to be a complement to the chemistry. Well, I was around 26 years old, really, when the company started really just skyrocketing. And Agspor started doing really good. I started hiring sales reps. I had one or two sales reps back in 1999, 2000. Mm -hmm. And like I, told, like I told you at our meeting that we had, the circle just kept getting bigger with our products. Uh, from Parma, Missouri to Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Um, I believe we have 40 sales reps now, Damien in 40 states and 14 countries. So that's the reason I tell everyone, it's a true story of the American dream. I just happened to play a character in that American dream. All right, this will be our last, we're gonna get on to you and we're gonna talk about business because this is after all the business of agriculture podcast. What these people that are listening, if they wanna check out Ag Explorer, they can go to agexplorer.com and if they say, man, I could use a different adjuvant, I could use a different surfactant, they could use your product, they find you at agexplorer.com. That's correct, Damien, just a little follow-up with that. You know, I've evolved from a foliar fertilizer company, adjuvant company, to a nitrogen stabilizer company. Our big sales now is in our product contain, and, you know, it's, it's just kind of how a company evolves. Our main competitors, Coke Brothers, they have Agritain. I hate mentioning my competitor on the air, but it's a good product, great product, but uh, we run up against Coke Brothers in more ways than one. I understand. Now, speaking of the Koch brothers, they've done well for themselves, as have you. 
People who listen to my podcast are business-minded people. That's why they tune into the Business of Agriculture podcast. We don't talk about grain charts or weather or any of the boring stuff. God, I was at a meeting yesterday at one of these 90-year-old professors. It was the most boring, terrible thing you ever sat through in your entire life. You know what? There's a reason that he's got a job as a professor and not doing like I do, talking for a living. So we're not going to bore people. We're going to talk about the business of agriculture. You became an entrepreneur. You were a crop consultant. Did you ever have, a, have you ever had a normal job? Well, it's funny you mentioned professor. I actually went to college with, to get my bachelor's, master's, and PhD. And I was actually going to be a college professor, agriculture. I, w- I was going to get tenure and be a college ag professor and work about three hours a day. Yeah, the problem is you're, it's not your DNA to work only three hours per day. Uh, you became an entrepreneur at a young age by being a crop consultant. Uh, you started doing that even probably when you were in college? I did. I started being a crop consultant probably in 1987. And I did that for 27 years, and I retired from that position about three years ago and gave that company to two of my long-term employees. Biggest challenge you face as a business owner, entrepreneur? The biggest challenge yeah. is, is, well, I tell this to everybody. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be the best student in high school, college, but you do have to be the most persistent. So to be a great entrepreneur, which I'm not saying I'm a great one, but I am one of the most persistent in the world. Persistence pays off. I, I tell you what, uh, I, I'm a B student. I think I've done okay for myself. I don't quite have as much uh, in my uh, in my uh, my ball of uh, in my ball of uh, of tricks as you do, but. Um, I always say that perfect attendance trumps honor roll because you've got to show up. You've got to show up. You've got to show up. you got to show up and do the work. And that's something I've always done, show up and do the work. Tell okay. us what your, day, what your day or week look like. You know, we talk about entrepreneurs when i got business-minded people listening to this show. Tell me about your day or your week. Well, over the last 10 years, my wife and I, Michelle, um, we've kind of diversified into other business. We built a new nursing home. We actually are buying a new cotton gin. We just sold out our share of a cotton gin we were partners with. But my main objective when I wake up every morning is to sell something. I thrive on selling something to the farmer. When I wake up, I want to sell something. So your, I can- your, uh, your website, Ag Explorer, and that's without the E, by the way, Ag Explore. When farmers achieve, we achieve, plain and simple. Obviously, your, your bread and butter is two things. You farm, you own thousands of acres of farmland yourself, and you, you rent some of it out, you farm some of it yourself, but your bread and butter is selling products to farmers. And I like your tagline, when farmers achieve, we achieve, plain and simple. You, you know that you're only going to sell something to those operators if it does them some good, if it adds some value. That's exactly right, Damien. Uh, like I said, I thrive on waking up and selling something every day. The farmers are always at the forefront of my mind when I'm developing products, selling products, and I try to save them money and cut out a lot of bureaucracy. Because I know you and I both love bureaucracy, right? Yeah, well, we swing very differently politically, and I should go ahead and tell our listeners right now that one of the things we disagree on is basically anything political. Um, I tend to be a bit more of a uh, conservative libertarian uh, and uh, which means, of course, I'm conservative on financial issues. I want to be left alone, and I say if it's a personal issue, it's your problem. Let, let leave the government out of it. Uh, Barry tends to be a little bit more left-leaning, but he's a conservative left-leaning individual. I think we actually both agree we'd like there to be less government in the business of agriculture. 
No doubt about it. And I can share just a little story with you about 2012. I had a $457,000 EPA fine. Now for somebody $57,000 of fines that you had to pay because of the EPA. I had 212 infractions. If they walked into your studio right now, they'd probably find about 50 infractions. I'm kind of looking behind you on your set there. <laughs> they would find about 50 infractions and really you may have one real one. It's probably dust mites or something. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. We all know that, uh, if you're, if you're a bit of a libertarian leaning person like me, I think it was Ayn Rand that wrote in there, the purpose of laws isn't really to make a lawful society, it's to make sure that the government always has something against you. Uh, so, you know, they can walk out in my barn and see that I'm not handling something right or that I've got uh, fuel tanks that don't have dikes around them or, or some, some, some silly thing. Yes. So that'll make you, uh, that'll make you really, you know, $457,000, like you said, 212 infractions. You weren't like out there dumping chemicals into the Arkansas River. Well, we were using seaweed in our products and we still use seaweed in our products, but we can't claim it on our label. And most of our fine, Damien, ironically, was we had an economic advantage over our competitors. Well, guess what? Our competitors are still doing the exact same thing. So we've done paid for all their mistakes, so it's okay for them to keep doing it, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's that, when the government makes winners and losers. Let's go back to you as a business person. I ask all my business people, my farmers, if I could magically give four more hours to you each week, if I could just reach up in the air and grab four hours and give you four hours, how would you spend those hours? That's a really good question. One that I've never thought about because if I'm awake, I'm usually working. So I usually work that extra four hours. Anyway, I usually go to bed at 1 AM every night. So I usually get that four hours in as well. I answer it. So I'm already taking your four hours, Damien. Yeah. And you know what I always tell people is everybody usually says, well, I would do this. And I say, the reality is most people know there's one thing that they're not doing enough of. You know, maybe it's marketing or reading business books or spending time with their children or whatever. And it's a top of mind thing. They're like, damn, I know I should be doing more of this. So if I had four more hours, I would do it. And what that really tells you is when you ask the question is, you have those four hours, you probably just need to rearrange your schedule and, and do it anyway because it's important to you, but it's not so important that you're making it a priority. Yes. Let's talk about the future. Like I said, you've done well. You're a huge landowner. You got this company that you know you've had since 1999. It's chugging along. And you're my age exactly. You're 49 years old. When you look at the future of this industry, of agriculture, you know, you've got to have lots of ideas. So let's start at the beginning. What has changed since you were out walking those cotton fields as a 20, 20 year old guy? That's another really good question, Damon. You're asking some tough ones today, but <laughs> so much, you know, there's more change in agriculture and probably the medical field than any other industry in the world. Agriculture and medicine, you know, we're going to be, be doing 3D printing for somebody's new heart in the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah, can, you imagine, can you imagine, you and I were both in high school when a, a guy got the first heart transplant, meaning they took an actual human heart <laughs> and gave it to a guy. And now we're talking about in another decade, Another decade, we might just go over and punch some stuff on a computer and then out pops a, a synthetic heart that we can stick in somebody's chest. It's awesome, but scary, but agriculture is the same way. When I was walking fields back in 1987, well, let me just give you an example. Cottonseed back in 1987 was $42 a bag. It's about $600 a bag today, Damien. So, you know, you get to all the technology for the uh, BT, the Roundup Ready, the Liberty Link that camera resistant gene, 
it's already uh, genetically built into the cottonseed bag. So when that plant grows, you already got all that in there. The farmers I used to get to try to spray for insects, they didn't really like spraying back then. Like my grandpa, he would never spray for a bow weevil or a plant bug back in 1987. Now we spray all the time, even though we have genetically altered cottonseed. So the, the farmers evolve, technology evolve, but the more things change, the more they stay the same. Now here's what's really interesting to our, if we happen to have any non-ag listeners, they'll say, look at that, Monsanto, 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 went from $42 a bag 30 years ago to $600 a bag. Those big, those big, big agriculture. Remember, if you want to malign something, you call it big, big banks, big tobacco, big agriculture. You and I both know the reason the customer is willing to pay $600 is because they make money by doing so. The, the, the point is, we make better products and yeah, it is more expensive, but it still makes sense because it saves you uh, applications or it makes you more money. Yeah, and you get into killing the butterflies and killing the bees, you know, all those things that are not really happening. You have to deal with that stuff as a farmer and as a agricultural uh, businessman. So you're a farm owner and a farmer and you were raised that way, as many of my listeners are farmers, farm kids, farm, you know, uh, focused people. What's the future of production agriculture look like? I really think we're gonna get more technology in the bag. I think there's some things that you and I can't even think of right now, 10 years from now, that'll be in the bag. Just like on cotton production, I think we'll get more secondary pest control within the plant. Red spider mites, uh, ligus, plant bugs. I think in the future, Hopefully in my lifetime, I'll get to see that actually technology, that technology be in the seed, in the plant. That way we're not spraying pesticides all the time. Yeah, I see a future with less chemical application because of the genetic engineering. I see, I see organic practices and conventional practices molding. That's the benefit of, you know, no-till was really in its infancy back, say, when you and I were in high school 30 years ago. And now no-till or reduced till, those are some organic practices meeting conventional practices. I see that continuing to mold together in the name of sustainability. And while the suburbanite doesn't really know what sustainable means, you and I both know it means making more with less resources. I've got a good friend, Damien. She's a state rep here in Missouri. She's very liberal and she eats organic food. And I sent her a picture of a corn earworm eating the end of some organic sweet corn. I'd much rather eat my pesticides than eat that poop off the corn airworm. So I'm not very big on organic food. I think it's somewhat of a gimmick. And like I said, that, that poop on the end of uh, the corn, mold, mildew, um, all kinds of diseases you can get off organic food. So I love my pesticides on sweet corn for sure. You and I are both in full agreement. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a benefit. I'm a, I'm a believer in the benefit of technology. I was only pointing out that I do think that some of the practices, meaning things that we can do with uh, uh, less trips across the field, um, which is because of technology, but also reducing our tillage so that we keep our soil where it's supposed to be. Some of those things are going to come together in the name of it's conventional and technology, but also some of the practices that organic loves to preach about. And that's much needed, Damien, because I think we do overspray pesticides in this these uh, genetically altered plants like cotton. We pesticides have got so cheap, the economic thresholds have dropped way down on many many different pests. I mean, we spray a lot of times when we don't even need to be spraying because the pesticides, insecticides, have got so cheap. 
So I do think we're overspraying in the cotton industry based on cheap pesticides, not economic thresholds. Yeah, the idea is that it's almost like a preventative thing, and we got ourselves in a bind with antibiotics was the same way in, in livestock, uh, and the pendulum swung so hard now the other way. It's like, no, we still need to use antibiotics. We just don't need to use them uh, gratuitously. We need to use them more judiciously, and that's probably where we are on chemistry in the field. Well, the farmers have got so big, you know, if someone's spraying five to 10,000 acres the next week or two, they don't want to waste that trip coming back like two or three days later and not putting that cheap pesticide in. Yeah, it's kind of like we're already here, let's go ahead and do it. Which brings me to environmentalism. As, as I tell my ag audiences, environmentalism is a new religion. And I'm realizing that I'm talking to a guy who's married to a preacher's daughter, <laughs> a preacher's daughter. Uh, <laughs> environmentalism is a religious type movement in the United States of America. And that's where you see these calls in places like Western Europe or Canada, you know, the, the more advanced cultures, uh, while religion itself is dying, you know, my mom's place in the pew at St. Peter and Paul Catholic Parish is not being replaced, but that doesn't mean people don't still want to have a cause, and environmentalism seems to be that. How will that affect our industry? You know, Dave, man, I think it's just education. You've got to educate the consumer. You know, the United States wants a cheap food supply. We've always had a cheap food supply. Uh, the consumer demands it. Um, even when farmers went on strike in, what, 1976? I think a loaf of bread's had a nickel's worth of wheat in it then. It probably still has a nickel's worth in it now. So it's just educating the consumer to know that, you know, clothing comes from the cotton farmer. Uh, food comes from corn, soybean, rice farmer. And that's one thing Americans have in common. Whether we have tariffs or not, we all like to eat. There's no doubt about that. We got to eat to stay alive. Well, we like to eat a lot. If you go to the Walmart here in Huntington, Indiana, where I where my farm is, uh, we're going to replace those electric carts with full-blown SUVs, I think. There's some big ones <laughs> at the local Walmart, trust me. Speaking of eating, and to a guy like you, by the way, if you somehow forgot, I'm talking to Barry Acock, founder of Ag Explorer. He's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. He's a Parma, Missouri-based business operator, farmer, and my guest. Now, he said that he grew up very modestly, as many people in our industry did. He grew up eating bologna. He doesn't eat bologna anymore. He doesn't have to. He doesn't want to. He doesn't like it. You see lab meat. You know, that's the big thing. Even Cargill is investing in lab petri dish protein. Do you see lab meat catching on? Well, I haven't tasted any of it yet, so I can't speak from experience. I hope I don't have to taste it. But let me just say this to give you kind of a counter argument. Maybe we can argue about this. I think in the next 50 years, Damien, there's going to be, what is it, 50 billion more people in the world? No, it's uh, supposed to be one and a half billion more. We're, we're at seven and a half billion now. There's supposed to be nine billion in the next 20, 30 years. That's a lot of mouths to feed. And the way agriculture is losing land, we may have to find some alternative ways to feed them. I'm not saying that's a good thing, growing meat in a lab. That might be one of the reasons that they're trying that. But I don't want a lab burger for supper tonight, if my wife's listening. <laughs> well, I hope your wife does listen, and I don't want to eat lab meat either. I've actually countered that I don't think we get to 9 billion, and some uh, demographers try and say we're going to get to 10 billion, and I point out to my ag crowds, the more advanced or the more affluent a culture becomes, the less they breed. China is not in growing in size. That's why they reversed their one-child policy. India is leveling off. All of the Western countries have actually a negative growth rate. So I don't believe we're going to get to 9 billion because the growing middle class across the globe continues to get better off. And if they get better off, they stop making babies. Or as well, many. 
I knew we were going to get into genetics, but I thought it was going to be on plants. I didn't know we were going to get into that part of this. I don't know. We haven't even argued yet. That's what everybody's probably, you know, anticipating. They're like, wait a minute. These guys fight on Twitter all the time and they're not even arguing. It's almost like we actually like one another. Uh, what does the ag industry do right? What's the ag industry do wrong? I think the ag industry doesn't do enough education to the consumer. You know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of agriculture education, agricultural awareness. You know, I, I, I do feel like inner city kids need to know where their food comes from or they'll appreciate it more. Inner city, yeah, St. Louis, inner city St. Louis and Memphis, I live close to those areas. I'm not as involved as I'd like to be on educating the consumer where their food comes from, but everybody needs to know where their food comes from because everybody likes to eat. Yeah, that's a true story. I think the, the, the horse is out of the barn on that, though, when you've got people that are as far removed as they are. And then I know the Farm Bureau says, we've got ag in the classroom. And I say, okay, now what really are we accomplishing there? You put some training modules in the hands of the average elementary school teacher is a liberal-leaning female. That's not a judgment. That's the true demographics. I mean, you can look this up. Look up the voting blocks. They tend to be more liberal-leaning, and they tend to be female, and have also no agriculture background. So you're going to put some training modules in the hands of the same woman that marched against Monsanto and thinks meat is murder, and she's supposed to be doing ag in the classroom. I don't think that's an effective use of our uh, uh, curriculum, if you will. Well, I agree with you, Damien, on that. I don't think the male cow, male pig, female pig, female cow. I don't think that they should get to meet before they have their kids. <laughs> okay. All right. One lesson as a smart guy in the business of agriculture, one lesson that you are going to share with my listeners, something that anybody in the business of agriculture can benefit from, something you've learned or some idea that you have from being out here for 49 years as a hardworking agricultural guy. Well, you know, I've done many different things in my short 49 years, and I've failed on many things. I fail every day. So you just have to be uh, a risk taker. You don't have to – don't worry about failing because you're going to fail. You just got to pick yourself up and keep rolling. The main thing I tell my kids is you're going to mess up, you're going to fail, but don't tell everybody when you lose. Don't highlight your losses. Keep them to yourself. But learn from them, right? That's the main thing is I every tell them. I think the most education, they say the most edu the most uh, beneficial education you get are the lessons you pay for. And basically, it don't mean paying for your tuition. It means you paid because you made a hell of a bad mistake and it cost you. You've had them too. I see it every day in agriculture. I see it in my kids. They play basketball every day. They think they're supposed to hit every shot. Michael Jordan didn't hit every shot. Matter of fact, he missed more than he made. Same thing with agriculture. Every farmer I talk to is always wondering, how come this field didn't make as much as this field? Damien, you know as well as I do, no field makes the same ever. No, and, and you'll, you should learn from it and say, okay, maybe what we could have changed or what we could have done, but you can't get hung up on it. You just got to continue to move forward. As the great Rocky Balboa says, and I quote him in my, in my business speech, it ain't how hard you can hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward because you and I both know you're going to have some storms, right? That is correct. Daily, sometimes weekly, monthly. You just got to cope with them and move on. My guest has been Barry Acock, a former client of mine, the founder of Ag Explore, an adjuvants and uh, chemical micronutrient company. He's a farmer, a farm owner, an entrepreneur, and I'd like to say he's actually my friend, even though he's wrong on most all of his political stances. <laughs> We didn't even get to get into tariffs, how, they, how good they are for the soybean farmer. Come on, Dave. All right. You know what? Next episode, we'll do that. By the time some people are listening to this 
episode, we won't even have those tariffs in place because a better deal will be struck with China. At least that's what you and I both hope, right? I hope you're right. I hope I'm wrong. All right. Barry Acock, thank you for being on the Business of Agriculture. Dear listeners, I hope this was educational. I'm sure it was. I know it was interesting. And yeah, if you had come around again, Barry, we're going to fight just for the amusement of our listeners. Till then, thank you for joining us. It's the Business of Agriculture. Tune in next time.